Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about imaginative self-care for skeptics. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of the vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, Placebo Mages. Today, how to practice magic in plain sight without anyone noticing. But first, thank you to our newest Patreon backers, John, Julia, and Todd. And thank you to our backers at the producer level or above, Alconet, Emily, A Sociology of Tarot, Agnomenimus, Annie, Beulah, Brianne, Carrie, Dev, Fonka, Gyun, John, Tony, and Valerie. All right, so today we're talking about, you know, how you can practice magic in front of other people without them knowing about it. And so first, let's talk a little bit about why you might want to do that. I think these are mostly self-explanatory, but, you know, first of all, you might want to avoid um, judgment or conflict with people who wouldn't really understand, uh, you know, fundamentalist religious people or the sort of angry type of atheist. You know, maybe you are in a situation where you want to hide this from family members or, you know, even people living in the same house as you, especially if you are a a dependent living with your parents and your parents would be against you practicing magic, um, even if it's placebo magic and not the true believer sort of magic, they might not really understand. Or it could be, you know, you're kind of trying to hide it from your neighbors who are, you know, right next door, or you're, you know, you're trying to do stuff in the workplace and hide it from your coworkers. And even if it's people who would be totally cool with the idea of you practicing placebo magic, or even if, if we lived in a world where almost everybody was practicing placebo magic, you know, you might still just want privacy for what you're doing specifically. You know, in some cases, you might want to be able to do magic outdoors because of the general kind of mental health benefits of being outdoors and the and the sense of wonder and meaning that that can provide. But um, if you live in a, you know, a city or a suburb or something where you don't have a private place to be outdoors doing that, then you might want to be able to do it in plain sight and hide the fact that that's what you're doing. It's like for most of us, uh, if we're like adults um, living, you know, either on our own or with a partner or whatever, we don't have to hide our magical practices in the privacy of our own homes. But, you know, at home is usually where we feel the most safe and in control. And so it's not necessarily where we need the practice the most. I mean, it's nice to have your practice at home as kind of like a baseline, but it's out and about kind of in the wild where we need kind of this, you know, to be able to practice in a kind of an ad hoc way on demand. So, you know, in the workplace, in job interviews, in meetings and performance reviews, when you're stuck in traffic or broken down on the side of the road, you're on a first date, you're in the hospital or the emergency room, you're in the airport or on an airplane, you're on public transportation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if we can find ways to practice in plain sight without being bothered by anyone or bothering anyone or without feeling exposed, then that can open up a whole new range of possibilities beyond just kind of practicing in the privacy of your own home. And there's a huge benefit here to being a placebo mage specifically as a as opposed to kind of more of a true believer, which is that we understand that the trappings and the paraphernalia of magic are largely arbitrary and can be changed. 
And so you don't necessarily have to wear a robe and, and carry a magic wand or a staff or, or whatever. You can do things that are more subtle, but that still carry the same significance. So let's brainstorm uh, different ways you can, you can practice in plain sight. So the first one is one that I have um, used before, which is to use magical gestures that are kind of disguised as just fidgeting. So I'm like a, an incredibly fidgety person and, and pretty much always have been. And um, in my most recent job, I was working in a, a customer service capacity and I had to wear a name badge. What I would do sometimes is if I was, you know, dealing with a customer who's like complaining or something, I would tap the name badge three times. And I had this idea that that would activate a force field that would sort of deflect, you know, people's whininess back at them. Because I am a generally fidgety person, that movement was something that nobody would ever really notice because I'm just always kind of squirming and, you know, like putting my hands in my pockets or clicking my pen or, or whatever, just playing with whatever I have in my hands. So it's something that I was just able to do without anybody blinking. You can also hide gestures in your pockets, which is another trick I've pulled out in the same um, capacity being this customer service role. Uh, I used to wear this zippered sweater jacket thing that had these big pockets on the sides. And sometimes if I was in a conversation with someone who's really irritating me, I would like stick my hands in my pockets and flip them the bird in my pockets. And I, again, this was something I had kind of previously sort of established as like a magical gesture where the uh, middle fingers kind of represented like swords as in kind of the idea of like the conjuring the warrior archetype and, and in terms of protecting my boundaries from the, these incursions of other people who are trying to sort of spread their negativity to me. You can uh, come up with, you know, any kind of like hand gestures or, or sequence of hand gestures for a ritual or spell and just stick your hands in your pockets and do those without anybody knowing the difference. Especially if you have big pockets that you don't want to do this in like your skinny jeans. It's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to look really weird. But if you have like big coat pockets or, or what have you. Similarly, you, if you want to do more elaborate movements, you can kind of disguise those as exercise. Like if you're in a public park or something. So for instance, like let's say you want to like, you know, bow down and uh, uh, worship a tree as a symbol of nature or something like that. You could bring your your yoga mat and kind of disguise that as a yoga position, like your I don't know yoga very well, but your downward dog or something. You know, make sequences of yoga positions maybe that have a um, symbolic significance beyond just doing yoga. They have uh, you know that you're actually casting a, a spell to cause some kind of change or transformation in your mind. Likewise, one of the cliched uh, movements of magic is like which is dancing around a fire and you know you could go down to the park and like walk laps around a fountain or a tree or something or rollerblade around it or whatever and if you're wearing sort of fitness clothes and you're you just have the the look of a someone who's doing fitness then nobody is going to bat an eye that you're doing this incredibly repetitive motion or you know likewise you could go and um I remember when I was in high school there used to be people who would come to the bleachers uh, when there wasn't any event going on. There's like random adults from the neighborhood who would just run up and down the stairs in the bleachers. And that's something that is incredibly good exercise, obviously. But if you wanted to interpret those stairs as some kind of a metaphor 
for you, like, I don't know, descending into your unconscious or something, you know, you could, you could do that. And again, if you're kind of disguised as an exercise person, then nobody would ever know or care. All right, so another trick is to use ordinary objects that have hidden significance and hidden magical functions. For instance, you could use a pen and have it at your desk in your cubicle or whatever that is actually a wand, maybe a pen that's just slightly more ornate than the rest of your pens and that you don't actually use to write. You kind of keep it sacred as your wand pen. And, you know, you're, you may look like you're, it may look like you're actually just kind of fidgeting, but in fact, you're like subtly waving your wand around with your wrist or something. A lot of people who have office jobs have like lots of weird little trinkets at their desk action figures or little fidget objects or or photographs of loved ones or little pieces of artwork or whatever. And any of these kinds of things can have secret magical purposes. I know like in my last job, I had an office and if I had put like a statue of Baphomet or something on my desk, you know, I would have gotten a lot of funny looks, but you know, I was uh, managing a theater and my, uh, my office was full of movie posters of like Star Wars and spider-man and stuff and if i had had in like an action figure of spider-man or yoda or something nobody would have batted an eye and i could have used that in kind of a, a pop culture paganism sort of way or even had like a, a sort of clever substitution sort of thing like maybe i have a little yoda statue or i mean an action figure that really is a stand-in for like the buddha or something you know and i could kind of in my head privately know that it's not really yoda it's actually the buddha in disguise as yoda in order to help me um be able to have this secret practice in my office. For a little while, I was a substitute teacher. And I remember in um, elementary schools, you know, they would sometimes have these uh, baskets of fidget objects. And if kids were having trouble sitting still, they would hand them one of these fidget objects, let, let them pick one out from a basket. A lot of those fidget objects would not be out of place in any way in a cubicle. And so when you think about, you know, a fidget object, that's kind of like a self soothing device. And we don't typically think of that kind of thing as magic, but if you just add additional layers of symbolism to that, then it can become a magical tool. I know my old um, supervisor, she had this like thing in her office that was like this weird little gizmo that it was like a little thing with liquid in it. And if you held it in your palm, then the liquid would sort of move up into this little like zigzaggy straw thing and kind of bubble. And that's the, you know, kind of thing that it's just kind of a nifty gimmicky thing that you might buy at like, I don't know, Cracker Barrel or something. But if you interpreted that as being like a mindfulness thing, like, oh, you're you're kind of um, pouring the energy of your focus into this glass ball. And that's what's causing the the liquid to bubble up and kind of make that metaphor happen. Then you could have this seemingly just ordinary, you know, off the shelf trinket gimmicky thing that actually is like secretly part of your your witchcraft. Another kind of object that you can secretly have enchanted is articles of clothing. I think these work especially well because you have to have then that moment at the beginning of the day when you are putting on this article of clothing that is kind of your moment of intention setting. And then as you wear it throughout the day, you have this constant reminder of your intention that you set. I mean, jewelry works incredibly well for this. You could use, uh, you know, a special kind of jacket or a a special belt or really anything. There's like obviously a spectrum here from completely disguised and subtle to a a little more explicit. So like a lot of people I know who are in the kind of pagan slash witchcrafty realm, 
will wear pieces of jewelry that are just a little bit of that. And it kind of tends to be a thing where most people don't ever really think anything of it, but people who are kind of in the same vein will notice it and start a conversation about it. It's a good way to kind of find people who also practice magic without completely broadcasting that to everybody. Uh, like I said before, I, I used to have a name badge that I had kind of enchanted to be a force field generator. Another um, cool one that I've heard about is using those old pennies in the U U.S., the old pennies that have shields on the back. You can use that shield as like a symbol of boundaries or a defensive barrier or whatever, your magical ward. So I've, I've heard about people putting those on their dashboard with the shield facing up as a way of trying to uh, kind of a reminder to drive safely. And then also if the if the pennies on your dashboard are like jingling and jangling and moving around, that's kind of a quick reminder to, you know, slow down and drive more carefully. But you could also, you know, pocket these shield pennies that, or put them in your shoe or something as a, as a little um, secret object. Hidden layers of clothing is another great trick where, where, you know, you're wearing your magical socks or your magical underwear or a t-shirt. That way, you know, you, you have that moment in the morning of intention setting and, and then you have it on all day with no, nobody being the wiser and it can be as fancy and ornate as you care to have or it could just be um, like with a t-shirt, it could be something like you're wearing a Superman S underneath your, you know, your button up shirt for work or something like that where it's um, maybe not the most pagan looking thing, but it's something that is like a secret power that you have. You could also draw symbols on your skin underneath your clothes again this is a great way to, to have like that moment in the morning where you're you're setting the intention before you leave home and then throughout the day you're carrying that with you this kind of secret power like a you know you have a sigil or some kind of other magical symbol like i mentioned with the shield pennies um you know you you could hide other more explicitly magical objects in your pockets and sort of fidget with those without anybody seeing them for me, you may remember, I think from the Mood Alchemy episode, I had talked about this idea of making a sorcerer's stone, or I mean, an alchemist stone, or what's the word for that? But anyway, I have this stone that it's it's kind of bulky, but not so bulky that it would be really obvious in my pocket. And so every once in a while, if I'm going into a situation that's going to be stressful, I will pocket that stone, and then I can put my hand in my pocket and like rub that stone in order to kind of um, soothe myself without anybody knowing that that's something I'm doing. Or just having it in my pocket can be kind of soothing. So shifting gears a little bit here, it is very nice, if you can, to be able to do magic using as much of your body and senses as you can. But that's um, not always going to be possible when you're out and about trying to be stealthy. So there are some really nice tricks you can do to kind of collapse the magic into fewer like dimensions, so to speak. So in this case, um, the examples I'm about to give are kind of you're collapsing magic into a 2D space, and that makes it way easier to hide. So for example, um, you can have magic in a notebook. Maybe, you know, if you're trying to do this in a disguised way, maybe just have an ordinary spiral bound notebook or what have you, but you could have different magical tools sort of collapsed into a, a two-dimensional format within that notebook. Like maybe you have a two-page spread that is your altar, your sacred space, or at least your sort of on-the-go altar. 
and you ha could have you know a drawing that you've created on that two-page spread or perhaps a printout of a of a nice image of a sacred space or maybe like a collage where you've cut out images of different kinds of objects and pasted them in there whatever situation you have it could be like the same kind of arrangement of magical objects and and meaningful symbolism that you might have in your altar at home but you've just got them in a two-dimensional form factor that you can fold up and put in your bag and nobody's the wiser. And you could even have rituals that happen in this space, for instance, by like tracing runes with your fingertip or by drawing things into your notebook as you go and kind of creating spells on paper where you have a, a sort of deliberate ritual of drawing things in a certain sequence and having certain mental associations as you go and sort of mental recitations that, that you're doing in your head as you as you progress through this sort of drawing ritual there was an area near me where they're they're in the process of building a meditation labyrinth and i happened to come across a flyer for this project where you know they were giving information about it and how to donate and stuff and in this flyer they had a a sheet of paper that depicted a meditation labyrinth and explained what it was and then it also it had these little instructions of how you could use this piece of paper as like a mini meditation labyrinth by just tracing your finger through the entire labyrinth instead of walking it. And that's the kind of thing that you could print out and stick in your notebook or draw in your notebook. And you could be on the subway or on the bus or in your office just, you know, tracing this little labyrinth. You know, I, I probably these days an, an even more stealthy way to do magic in 2D is to do it on your phone or otherwise on, a, you know, a device, a computer or whatever. People will pretty much ignore you if you are looking at your phone. You know, I know when I see somebody who's hunched over their phone, I just always kind of assume they're on social media or something like that. I mean, you could do the same kind of approach as I was mentioning with a notebook where you have like a drawing app on your phone or a note keeping app that you use to have your kind of virtual spell book or your, your virtual altar. But you could also, you know, use some of the, um, the particular advantages of a of a digital device to get some other kind of clever ways of hiding your magic in there. So one idea is that instead of performing a ritual in a 3D physical space, you could perform a ritual in a virtual world, like a, in a sandbox game like Minecraft, for instance. Maybe instead of going out in the, in the real life woods, go into the woods in Minecraft and build some kind of a little shrine or build, a, build some kind of a, a monolith to set your magical intention and and as you build that thing you are doing so in this kind of meditative suggestible state what that will help to to um, drive that intention you know into your subconscious you know you could also use your magical apps like your you know your tarot apps your astrology apps and maybe even more useful in the context of being out and about on the go it would be to use audio and have you know your guided meditations your guided visualizations where you could be, you know, on public transportation or on the airplane or whatever. And if if you're sitting on the airplane, leaning back with headphones in and your eyes closed, nobody's going to pay you any mind, but you could be, you know, going through a guided visualization and, and kind of journeying through a magical world to find a, a potion from a unicorn or something that's going to um, help you on the job interview that you're flying into. Having a phone in your hand or and or having headphones in your ears in our kind of modern world is the perfect disguise. It's a way to become invisible to people around you. 
in a little bit of a different context here, um, if you are somebody who is living with housemates, in, or especially if you're living with your parents and they are people who would be very judgmental about you practicing magic, then doing it in a digital context could be really helpful. And so you have the these options I've been mentioning, being able to build magical uh, spaces in Minecraft, for instance. But if you happen to have access to VR, this could be an especially good way to do it where I don't know if there's any apps that are specifically suitable for this, but I do know that there's a decent amount of kind of like sandboxy VR apps. And so if you could go into like VR chat or something and kind of have a virtual space that feels like your own private sanctum, then um, if you have those VR controllers, uh, the, you know, those little kind of remote like uh, motion controllers in your hands, you can do whatever the heck kind of magical gestures you want and nobody's going to think anything of it. They're just going to think you're playing a cool VR game. I, I kind of think that is one of the the nice sort of promises of VR is I think that as the technology develops and becomes more available and affordable for people who live in chaotic settings, like um, kids who live in, in unsafe homes or just very busy homes, VR could be a really nice way to give people in those kinds of environments a safe refuge where they can experience some of the serenity that you might get from living alone in nature or something and kind of bring that experience into a into a more chaotic environment because vr can have some of the special effects uh you know i think it'd be cool to have like guided rituals in vr that have all the motions and gestures and but then they you know when you're practicing magic normally with your wands and stuff you have to sort of visualize the vfx but in a in a vr environment that could be actually animated with the graphics abilities but anyway i'm getting on a whole tangent now but speaking of visualization though when it comes to stealth magic visualization is kind of the catch-all you know you can do basically anything with visualization with the the caveat that it does require more focus to sustain a visualization compared to using, you know, physical gestures and physical objects and speaking out loud, but it can kind of cover all of your bases if you need it to. And when I say visualization, I'm not just talking about the visuals, but also, you know, imagining sounds and touch and taste and, and movements, um, smells and all of that. So, I mean, just in general, that's kind of, even if you're practicing magic in the privacy of your own home, visualization is going to kind of fill in the gaps where, okay, maybe you're waving your wand around, but you're visualizing the sparkles and you're visualizing the the glowing magical sphere that's encasing you in warmth or, or whatever. And so out and about on, in public, you can, you know, visualize, like I was saying earlier, I've used to visualize a force field to deflect customer complaints and whininess back at them. So I, you know, I think this would be particularly effective if you are practicing it at home in a controlled environment, because like I said, visualization requires more focus. So if you are wanting to rely on that, I do think it's probably the best idea to practice it when you are in a quiet, controlled setting, and that will make it easier to do it in out and about in the wild. And, you know, you can practice the specific visualizations like, you before you go into work you you practice the visualization of the force field that you're going to throw up when your boss comes nearby and then you know mentally prepare yourself not just for the ability to visualize it but mentally prepare yourself so that you will remember to do it and you'll kind of have that habitual reaction when you get there 
So that's about it for our discussion of practicing stealth magic in plain sight. Of course, there are many, many other ways you could do this than what I have brainstormed about here. So um, hop on over into our Discord if you want to share your techniques or, or you know, just contribute to the further discussion about this topic. And now it's time for Secret Spells and Riddlesome Rituals. Today, making a stop-motion animation as a magical spell. Okay, so this is an idea that I had a few months ago. And if I remember correctly, it was around the time that I did the... Um, the most recent uh, lightning round episode, which was um, the main sort of titled topic was mag uh, metaphor is magical. And I was talking about how the kind of the basic idea of casting a spell is that you create a symbolic representation of the situation and then you manipulate that representation in some way to kind of change it or to indicate the change that you want to see. And um, around that time I made that episode, I was watching. Um, a documentary series on Disney Plus called Light and Magic about um, the special effects company Industrial Light and Magic that started when um, the original Star Wars came out or when it was in production. And there's a guy on the documentary, Phil Tippett, who's like kind of regarded as the master of stop motion creature animation. He almost ended up being like doing animation, stop motion animation for Jurassic Park. Like that movie was all going to be stop motion and and physical puppets until during the production they realized that they could do it with uh, a lot of it with cgi and then he ended up working on it in a in a different capacity but um, the point is he in the documentary was talking about how when you are making stop motion animation it's very meditative because it's like you're slowing time down dramatically it's like you, you know typically done it um you know in the ballpark of of 25 frames per second or more and so it's like you are taking you know maybe a half a minute or less of footage and and it takes hours to make and so it's like you're altering your perception of time to to do that and then also in this documentary series he was talking about how very late in life he discovered that he was bipolar and that he kind of attributes that meditative process of stop motion as being very helpful to him back, you know, when he was younger and didn't even know he was bipolar. So when practicing magic, I think one of the most effective kind of basic formulas for how to do it is if you kind of have uh, your spell have two basic components in terms of what, what activity you're doing. You have the initial upfront kind of intention setting spell, which is where you're, you're doing a very kind of um, deliberate ritualized action and in a kind of very um, meditative, you know, altered state of consciousness. And then you, in the process of that, you have created some kind of artifact, whether that is a sigil or a spell jar or, or whatever. But then later on, that artifact exists in your space and serves as a reminder of that intention that you set and a reminder of that more meaningful, um, deliberate experience when you created it. And I thought in in keeping with the topic of this month's episode, the, the doing stealth magic, that doing a, a stop motion animation might be kind of nice because you can have this very slow meditative experience of creating it in the first place. 
but then you can have that animation on your phone and pull that out and, and kind of watch it and sort of relive the experience of creating it and remind yourself of that intention. And animation is just kind of a very suitable medium for this kind of core idea of creating a symbolic representation and then manipulating it. Um, you don't just manipulate it once. You you can then kind of rewatch that transformation and change every time you watch the animation. So um, there is a free app on both iPhone and Android called Stop Motion Studio. That is a very easy, beginner-friendly way to do stop motion. It's kind of like used in schools a lot. And by default, that app will work at, I think, five frames per second, which is a nice kind of trade-off where you can have much quicker results than a, you know, a more typical like professional frame rate of like, you know, 25 or whatever frames per second that, that's going to take forever to make something. At five frames per second, you can whip out an animation pretty quickly, but it still is like that, that experience of slowing down time. And you really don't have to have any kind of artistic skills to pull this off. You can do this using Legos. You can do it using action figures. You can do it using paper cutouts. You can do it using um, dry erase marker, which is, I guess you're not really doing stop motion, then you're just doing traditional animation. But, um, you know, you could you can er erase pieces of your marker board and, and redraw them. And um, the app has this tool in it. It's called onion skinning. I don't know if they actually call it onion skinning in the app or not, but that's what they call it in animation. It's where you overlay um, with transparency the previous frame over the, the live feed of the camera. And that makes it really easy to do this. Even if you don't have like a, a tripod or something for your phone, you can get approximately, you know, an approximation of holding your phone steady by using the onion skinning tool to kind of ma match the background elements of your image so that your phone is not shaking all around when you're taking, you know, going frame to frame. But if you do have like a tripod or something or you or you have a built-in little um, stand in your phone case or something that can be really helpful. You know, I've dabbled with this using Play-Doh, which uh, Play-Doh doesn't really, it's too droopy to do like stop motion claymation kind of animation. But I have, what I've done is pointed my phone down at a table and done kind of like a 2D surface of my table and move Play-Doh around that way in different shapes. And um, that can be pretty fun. So what you want to do, you know, you can do this for any kind of spell pretty much, but you want to create a representation of what you want to happen. So for instance, to go back to the an example I've been using earlier in the episode, if you want to be able to generate a force field for uh, against your like your boss's criticism, for instance, you could create a little animation of maybe maybe it's a, um, a depiction of you sitting at your desk and then um, your your boss walking up and saying something, and then you like you know close your eyes for a moment, and a, and then a force field appears around you. The point is not to judge yourself for your artistic skills. It's the point is to create this representation that then will serve as a reminder for for later. I th I think in particular this could be a great way to depict transformations. Like if you make a Play-Doh caterpillar and animate that crawling around and then animate it, you know, making a cocoon and then coming out as a butterfly or something. And that could symbolize a transformation that you are undergoing as you, um, whatever you're experiencing in life, if you're in a transitional phase, that could help you to remember to trust the process, you know. 
So yeah, I thought this would be kind of an interesting thing that you're probably it's not the kind of thing you would typically find in like a <laughs> a pagan or witchcrafty kind of spell book, but it has all of the kind of core elements of a great spell. It has this tactile and slow paced process, and sim and you can you know attach the symbolism to what you're animating. Uh, I I made a batch of Play-Doh for myself that has essential oil in it, like lavender essential oil. And so as a kind of a fidget object, it's nice because not only do I get to do something with my hands, but I have this kind of soothing scent. Um, and so, you know, just think about if you're if you're doing like a Play-Doh stop motion, you can have that just the the nice soothing experience of working dough with your hands. But then on top of that, this this experience of slowing down time. And then, yeah, you just have that on your phone and you Anytime you have some downtime and you want to remind yourself of your intention, you can go into your phone gallery and rewatch this animation. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry on the web at garrisonbenson.com. Leave a voicemail for the show by calling 989-318-4118. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical.